Grab a seat, my friends. Thank you, worship team. Hey, Ben, a special thanks to you. Ben is flying out, like literally he's leaving here to go put on his pilot's uniform and go, and yet he still stepped up. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate all of them, but like I know that it's hard enough if you like have to work nights. He's got to go now work a 14-hour shift in a plane. So thanks, man. Um, Before I send out the junior high high schoolers for their class today, I just want to remind everyone, it is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday means this. Seven weeks after Jesus leaves, the disciples are sitting in a room and the Holy Spirit shows up and he promised he would be there. And we are of a Pentecostal tradition. But because the Holy Spirit showed up that day, the message continued to go out. And we are one of those ripple effects 2,000 years later that had the blessing, the benefit of Jesus thinking ahead and saying, hey, there's something more. So I don't want to let the day go by without us realizing, hey, wow, there really is something to celebrate in this week. Because I know a lot of times if you're in a, if you're in a less traditional church like ours, they're like, oh, we don't have any holy celebrations. We do. We just do them different, and I'm not wearing a robe. Other than that, we still do, you guys. So anyway, it is Pentecost Sunday, so I hope that you will walk in that freedom that that Holy Spirit brought to us. Junior high, high school, I made you stay for that, believe it or not. (laughs) You guys, I will see you at youth group tonight, but for now, go. Enjoy your class. All right. So I told you last week that I was starting a series on sin, and here's the problem with talking about sin. First off, if you read my bulletin blurb, which I would encourage you to do every month, I do change it, so take the time to read it. But um, I recently heard, or this was about eight months ago, but I heard that only one-third of Americans actually believe in sin. They believe people do things wrong or bad, but they don't really believe in sin or in a nature of sin. And the problem with that is, We want to have everybody find their own truth. We want everybody to do what's right in their own eyes. And that leads to anarchy and chaos, and it leads to a world that continues to spin out of control. And yet, that's more and more the direction we're going to go, because we don't want someone to tell us we're doing something bad. Years ago, I was reading a book, and it was uh, by um, a well-known, well-respected pastor who had had incredible inroads. He wrote, the book was called Baby Boomerang, and he had this incredible inroads with people who were coming back to the church. They had left the church, and it was about the baby boomers. How in 1968, they all checked out, and then in 1985, they go, wow, our lives are a mess. And there was this huge resurgence back into the church in the mid to late 80s. Or maybe they got caught up in the Jesus culture and really dug Jesus for a while, but then life got busy. And he wrote this book and he said, one thing you never want to talk about is sin. And I believe that for years because if you talk about sin, people only think about what they've done bad, not about what God can do for them. And I think just the opposite is true now that I've gotten a little older. And that's not a criticism of that book. It was a great book and I learned valuable lessons from it. But what that is to say is this. We live in a broken world and it's not going to fix itself. Nothing broken continues to spin out of control and get better. If you've got a problem with your car and you know you have a problem with your car and the timing's off, you don't go, well, I'll just drive it faster and maybe then the timing will get on. That's not how it works. If you've ever spun a top, you know, a little child's top, it spins and then it starts to get wobblier and wobblier and it never then instantly corrects itself and starts spinning again. It just wobbles until it stops and is out of control and it's just laying there. 
And that's the same thing with our lives. When we have an area of sin in our life, we're top and we're spinning along just fine, but then there's something that's not right. And we maybe even know it or maybe we don't, and I'm going to talk about both of those things, but if you don't address it and don't deal with it, you're going to just end up going wobbly out of control and then laying on your side worthless to everything. Maybe literally, maybe figuratively, but I've seen both actually. Society has tried to eliminate the idea of sin. But even if we can do that, even if we eliminate the idea of sin, the effects of sin are still there. I mean, I can pretend all I want that there's not a river at the bottom of a Grand Canyon, but as long as that river keeps going, did you know that canyon just keeps becoming more of a canyon? It doesn't suddenly start filling in because we pretend the river's no, I can't see it, it can't be there. It's this giant chasm. How could this possibly have been caused by erosion and by... But it is. And we do this because we want to be accepting. We want to, be in, we want to include people. We want people to feel valued and loved and cared for. We also do, do it because we don't want to admit or recognize what's going on in our own lives. And it's a whole lot easier to pretend it doesn't exist if I can pretend I don't really struggle with things. I used to, but I've moved beyond it. Christians will use spiritual terms like sanctified. We'll use terms like redeemed. We'll use terms like holy to pretend that we're no longer struggling with things. We find your truth. And when this becomes a mantra or a lifestyle, then the actual truth gets to be lost. Because if I'm going to find my truth, it may not be the same as yours. And so this may be okay for me. And I'm going to follow this path. And the danger in that is this. Truth is truth. And either is or it isn't. If you ever were in, you know, in elementary school or junior high, high school, you take a true-false test. Only one word has to be false in order to make the statement false. But too oftentimes, we want to pretend, well, it doesn't really matter if that's one thing is false. As long as everything else about me is true, then I'm okay. And again, I'm not saying you're unworthy. I'm not saying we should shun you. If you know me at all, I say the opposite is true. I want to pull in the people who don't see it in their lives, not so that I can point it out, but so that I can love them into recognizing, hey, there's something not right. So today I'm going to talk about three types of sin. Original sin um, is the first one. Then I'm also going to talk about willful sin and disobedient sin. Okay, original sin, born into our human nature. The best way you can see this is in a two-year-old. Two-year-olds are wonderful and they're also very defiant, and they're learning to express their voice. I sometimes see it in adults, too, too who, when they don't get their way. But best, it's best seen in a two-year-old. You watching this precious little child who you have raised and fed and nurtured and cared for is now standing there looking at you, refusing to put their shoes on for some reason. They're just standing, put your shoes on. And at first, they just ignore you. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are parents. Do you... Then you tell them to do, to do it again, and they go, no. And then you tell them to do it again, and they get stiff, like, this is going to stop me. My daughter was the master at getting stiff. And I was like, you know, she weighed 32 pounds, literally. I could do this. That was at, like, six. She weighed 32 pounds. I could literally pick her up and put her where I wanted to. We would tell us, when we were trying to correct her, look at me, look at me in the face, and she'd do this. And you'd hold her face in your hand, and she's still doing this defiant little bugger. 
original sin is the idea that you are born with a sinful nature. And I know some people hate that idea. It's also known as Adamic sin, from, named after the first man, the first man who sinned. Um, it manifest, manifests itself as our marred human nature. But how would you like to be Adam, the guy who, you're the first man. You're also the one we call sin. All sin is named after you. Way to go, Adam. Way to blow it for everybody. All people are subject to this type of sin. Here's the best way I can help you have a visual picture. Imagine a beautiful sculpture, and then the artist just takes a hammer, just pounds out a giant gap in the face. And the rest of the sculpture is beautiful, but now there's this giant just hole in the face. That's essentially what Adamic sin is, except for God didn't do it, man did it to himself. God created something, and he looks and he says, this is good, and man takes it and chisels a big chunk out of it. The very nature of who we are is sinful. All people are subject to this type of sin. The hard part is we look at our precious little newborn baby. I'm going to call out baby Clara. We look at baby Clara, and she is perfect in all her form. She's just a month old. What could she have ever possibly done wrong? And yet she's sinful, and we will see it at some point. Maybe. You know, maybe, right? I think we can agree that we will. The very reason that a blood sacrifice was required for you was because humanity, every human, is under the burden of sin. Humanity at their very core is sinful. And it's hard because we want to say, no, humanity is getting better. Humanity is improving. And certain things about our society, I 100% agree. I really like the internet. That's a huge improvement. I like it when people are polite and hold doors open for you. At one time, throughout the world, pillaging was going on. Much less pillaging, much less plundering today. Not none, but way less. Piracy? Sharply down in the last 400 years. So some ways we're getting better, right? But in other ways, man is still sinful at his very core, his very nature. Romans 3, 9 through 12 tells us this. What then? Are we better than they? Talking about other people. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. There's none who are sinless except for Jesus. Because Jesus has a side that is divinity. He has a side that was created. So the geometric proof side of me says, if then statement. So if this is true, that none is good enough, then, then there must be a sacrifice for me. I can't do it myself. The if then proof, the thing you go back to every time in geometry, if this is true, then this must also be true. To every angle, there's an equal and opposite angle. If I want to build a house, I better know and understand that. If I want to understand who God is and the nature of sin, I better understand that if every human is a sinner, then every human needs a redeemer. Every human needs to find forgiveness and hope for that sin. The problem is we want to get caught up in the, but 
but I'm not that bad. I'm okay. I've progressed a long way. And we want to make it a sliding scale of how far we've come versus how far we are. And if so, we're doing great, people. But if in reality we are sinners and the only thing we have is salvation through Jesus, then we're still not there yet, are we? So if I'm a sinner, then I must need a Savior. Thus the reason people want to live in denial about sin is they don't want outside help. It's a lot easier to go, I'm really not that bad. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as people used to be. I'm way better than I used to be. And so we use all of these things so that we don't have to recognize our own sin because when we recognize our own sin, we realize, I'm not that good. I'm really not. The second kind of sin is willful willful sin. The original sin everybody has. Willful sin, there are people who don't necessarily struggle with this. But you know something is wrong, but you choose to do it anyway because it's easier makes you feel happy, feels good, takes less effort. If it feels good, do it. The whole mantra there says, oh, so I get to do whatever I want and I don't worry about the consequences to anyone else. And we had an entire generation, an entire era where that's what we lived and believed, but the problem is there's collateral damage around us that leave other people hurting and feeling hopeless and feeling helpless. It leads to a loss of fellowship with God, self-absorption, I will do what makes me happy. It leads to a lack of love and concern for others because if this doesn't bring me joy, well, I don't care what it does for you. As long as I'm happy, it doesn't matter how it affects anybody else. It's an inability or an unwillingness to change. What it also does is it usually highlights our need or our observation of others and the brokenness in them. Because if I see other people doing things I don't like, then I'm instantly going to have to point that out because it might go against what I want, what makes me happy, what brings me joy, what makes me fulfilled. It's also the reason that sometimes people refuse to see their own choices as self-destructive. Willful sin doesn't recognize self-destruction if it makes me happy now. It's when you have somebody who's an addict that keeps going back, even though they know they shouldn't. They've gone through rehab. They go back. They know it's damaging. They know it's destructive. They know, but they don't know how to cope, or they don't know how to handle, or they don't know how to process. And so they go back because it's easier and it's comfortable. You know what? It's more comfortable for most of us to stay in our sin than to ever change. Because change is hard, and change is time-consuming, and change takes work. And I don't want to put that into my own life. I want everybody else to get better, but I want to stay exactly as I am. And as they get better, then they'll see, well, he's not such a bad guy. He's trying. But the reality is, we live in this world where when we choose to willfully sin, we're sinning against ourselves, we're sinning against God, and we're sinning against others, both in the church and outside the church. Not that any of us would ever do this, by the way. I know this isn't for us. This is for other people that might get me on the internet. Internet, you bunch of sinners, I know you're out there. The third type of sin is disobedient sin. Disobedient sin is sometimes stuff we may not even recognize in our life that goes against the laws of God, but it's out of habit, it's out of who we are, it's out of just we never realized that this was wrong. There's all kinds of sin that if you bring up with people, sometimes they're not ready to process it. And here's where I struggle. 
disobedient sin, we still want to change it in their lives. But this is one, the one I always say, it's the Holy Spirit's job to do it, not yours. And that's where we don't like it. Because I want to be the one who says, you're a sinner and you got to change because that makes me feel better about myself. Because then, well, I'm not as bad as they are. But the reality is, the, the ones that they don't know, that's where the Holy Spirit needs to lead them. Now, can we lead them in Bible study? Can we lead them in other things? Yes, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to tell someone to change, not yours. You don't get to be the keeper of the gate. And so sin that's disobedient sin, but they may be unaware of, you know what our job is to do? According to Scripture, our job is to love them. And that really, really stinks when I know that they're doing something wrong. It's way easier for me to go, yeah, you're a sinner, get away from me. Then, I love you, come and eat with me. I love you exactly as you are and where you are, and God loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay the same, but it's not my job to change you, it's my job to love you. It's my job to love you through this, through the brokenness. Again, disobedience often comes from a place where they don't recognize their actions are sinful. Nobody's shown them. Nobody's taught them. It's their responsibility to make a plan to change those actions. And it's also those small things that, well, we know we shouldn't do them, but they're just little sins. It's gossiping because it's way easier than actually confronting and having a real conversation with somebody when you see something that's dangerous in their life. And it's talking to them without judgmentalism, but with hope. It's lying because, well, it's just easier to lie a little bit. It's the things that we know we've been convicted about, but we still kind of do them. Because is it really hurting anybody? Everybody else is doing this, Jeff. This is just the way my life works. This is how I function. One of the things I learned when I was going through counseling years ago is we come up with tools that help us function and that sometimes in our lives they're desperate for our survival. We're desperate for survival. As a child, you learn certain coping mechanisms. You learn certain things. If you have an abusive parent, you learn how to deal with that abusive parent. You have an alcoholic parent, you learn how to deal with that. You, you have a situation and so you learn. The problem is, as adults, you're now in a different situation. You're in a different place in life and you never learned the other coping skills that you actually need to function as an adult. And so we still do the same things because it makes us feel better. We feel needed. I feel safe. And it doesn't matter that I'm now still a perpetual liar about everything. At one time, you might have needed to do that to survive. Now you do it because it's just who you are. This is a family thing. I'm going to talk in a couple of weeks about family sins. This is just the way my family was. So what? The Manson family was a certain way too. Let's not emulate them. even though they're family. We don't have to emulate things in our family. We can get away from those sins. But it's a choice. It's a choice to change lifestyle. And it's so hard to change. I say all the time, I have the greatest respect in the world for people who will go through the process of seeing and changing, especially if they're adults. I have a friend who's in her 70s, and I say, When people ask, oh, isn't she difficult to get along with? I was like, well, she can be. I said, but I've seen more change in her in the last 20 years than I've ever seen in any other adult in my life. Because she went through counseling and she went through, and she makes hard, tough decisions and goes against, she goes, I feel like half the time I'm going against my natural instinct. And I go, that's probably good. 
that's probably really good for you. And I have a high respect and a high regard for people that are willing to change. Because change takes work and effort and time on our part. See, when we look at the different types of sin, the fact that every one of us needs a Savior, we still willfully sin, and there's areas in our life that we may not even recognize yet. And yet, eventually, the Holy Spirit may confront us. And how do we respond to that? How do I deal with that? And then there's also just the excuse, I'm awfully young, I don't need to make those life-changing things. I'm too old, I don't need to change now. This is just who I am, I mentioned that earlier. The, this is family, I talked about that a little bit ago. This is how our family does it. Jeff, this is my job and you don't understand what I have to do at work just to function. I don't know any other way, which I think is a common one, but are we willing to learn? Sometimes we allow sin a place in our life just because it's more convenient. It's more comfortable. And the final thing that I think, even though I say this is the world, I think that sometimes, even us in here, we deny that what we do is sin and we justify it by saying, well, it's okay because, sure, it's gossip, but I'm really praying for that person. Sure, it's lying, but if they knew the truth, it would really hurt them. Again, I'm not saying don't use tact and don't be polite. You don't have to go, that's a really ugly shirt you're wearing. You can just shut your mouth. <laughs> I often tell people, don't ask me a question unless you want the truth, because I'm likely to just spit it out accidentally. Sometimes I do. What do you think? That's stupid. Okay, I shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> but the truth is, we justify our sin. I think we do that more as believers. I don't think unbelievers necessarily are justifying their sin. I think we learn to do that because we want to keep living exactly how we're living. We want to say, I'm so much better than I was. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And that's just justification. And our justification is supposed to come through God. He's the one who justifies us by our faith, by the changes we're willing to make. So here's my conclusions for you today. We are sinners, but there is hope for every one of us. That hope comes through Jesus. It's through his grace, not through us doing something to earn it. Our hope lies in the idea that we recognize our need for grace. That's where, our, that's where our hope comes from. Our hope comes when we recognize, yep, I'm a sinner, and I can't make it aside from grace. And the problem is, the longer we go in that same pattern, the harder it is to come back. The longer I've lived this way, the more difficult it is to walk it back. And so, you know, I, I tell the teenagers all the time, stop running away from church as soon as you realize, wow, I've made some really bad decisions. Instead, do the opposite. The moment you recognize it, call me up and let's sit down and let's have lunch and let's move back towards it. Somebody shared with me this week, they said, um, they were at Panera the other day and their daughter said, I hate this place. And she said, why do you hate it? She said, because every time I have to talk about something bad in my life with Jeff, this is where he takes me. 
I said, I hope you took her there and just got her a cookie <laughs> so that at least it's not a bad memory. But you know what? We do the same thing. I think it's, I think it's true. We just have learned to hide it better as adults. As students, I can see through what's going on, and I go, what's going on? I haven't seen you in four weeks, and we were talking all the time. And so then we begin to walk it back. As adults, we can just hide it better. And then we realize how hard it is to come back. So we get out of church because I feel guilty showing up. And I always say, guilty? This is the one place you should experience total grace. So any guilt you're feeling isn't from me and it isn't from the Holy Spirit. It's from yourself knowing that what you're doing. So get back in here, forgive yourself, and let's move forward. Because our hope comes not in the fact that I can hide what I did, but my hope comes in the fact that I understand that my sin is always going to lead me to separation from God. And so I'm going to run from the thing that reminds me that I need to get right with God. We're sinners. We're in need of salvation. We're saved by grace. So here's my two questions for you as we end today. Number one, what areas of sin in your life do you know are there but you won't address? I'm not saying you've got to address them. I'm just asking, will you admit them? That's the first step. The first step is recognizing. The second step is washing it off. Number two, are you willing to create space in your life for other people to come alongside you to hold you accountable? Because if you're not willing to create that space, then you're going to continue to say, I just wish I'd grow, I'd wish I'd grow, I wish I'd grow. But there's not that person that you're, or group of people that you're saying, come in. We try to help create those spaces. We have a small group, a couple of them. We have a, our Building Solid Lives group, which we're going to do again this fall. This is my commercial endorsement. Every one of you, whether you've been a Christian for a month, you're not a believer, you've been for 40 years, go to Building Solid Lives. It's about putting practical spiritual disciplines in place. But allow somebody to come alongside you that you will trust and you will love even when they say you got something on your face there. Because if you don't still love them, if you just get mad that they do it, then they're not going to feel safe to do it. And they may still be your friend, but you won't keep walking in that relationship. There are people in my life that I've intentionally put there that can say, Jeff, I see something. They may not even know what it is, but I see something going on. And sometimes I don't know what it is, so then i got to back up. Some of you know I talk about my friend, Officer Nate, who will soon be SWAT member Nate. He's back in the Midwest, and I talk to him once a month, and I swear, through a phone line, he sees things I don't see, and I hate it. I hate it, because he calls me on stuff that I'm like, how did you know? He goes, I don't know, I was just praying, I guess. (laughs) You're not a pastor. You're not supposed to be this good. What's going on with you and your wife? Why do you ask? Just felt like asking. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) But I love him enough that I let him continue to do it. I love him enough that next month I'll make the call again and say, hey, what's going on? Everything's great. Really? What about this? How do you know? And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it. Because he gets access to my life because he's been there through storms and through ugliness and through messiness. And he still loves me. And he sees the absolute worst parts of me and still goes, yeah, but you're still a great friend and God still loves you and I do too. 
I'll never forget how mad I was one day and I wanted to yell, shut up, when I was frustrated and struggling. And he said, don't forget, the last thing he said on the phone call, don't forget, you are so loved by so many people. Shut up, I'm not right now. I got off the phone and I was like mad that God, because I really believed that that was a message from God and I was mad at him and I was mad at God. I called him back like two days later and go, why did you say that? He goes, because I think sometimes you forget it and I just wanted to remind you. Are you willing to have that person in your life? Because it's hard. It's hard to have that relationship. It's way easier to just look good to everybody and to have things shiny and clean and to not have people who are going to say, hey, what's really going on in your life? We offer groups this summer, the barbecues. It's a great time to build. I don't expect you to like pour out your soul at barbecue number one. They might all get scared. But how about you get to know the people <laughs> through a summer series of summer barbecues that you sit down and you eat and there's no agenda and we're not talking spiritual things. We're just having a meal together, a potluck-style meal at someone's home. But hopefully the idea is that you build relationships with people that are in that room so that when you're going through something, when you're struggling with a sin, or even just when you need prayer in your life, you can ask them and there's somebody you can ask. Next week, I'm going to talk about the effects of sin on our life. And it goes beyond what you may think. So I hope you'll join me again. I realize they say don't talk about sin. Talk about hope and talk about grace. Don't talk about sin. But I felt like it's time for us to talk about sin and be real about it. Because sin is the reason that Jesus had to come to die so that we could have redemption and reconciliation with God. And that's ugly. And that's harsh. But it's reality. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that you see us and you call us and you welcome us home. You clean us up every time. May we be a people who aren't just known by the fact that we sin, but we're known by the fact that we offer hope to others. God, that every person in here would come into real, meaningful, personal relationship with you. Wherever we're at, we would begin to recognize, I'm a sinner and I need something more. And that's our first step. Let us recognize that today, God. If there's anybody in here right now that maybe you say, that's me, I've never done that, or I need to do that again, just like wave your hand at me or let me know. All right. Anybody else? God, I just pray that those two that raise their hand today, God, that those two that see it and recognize it, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth, but they recognize they need that again. God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are. God, I pray that both those people, Lord, that you would just move in their heart, in their mind today, and show the reality. God, if there's anyone else in this room, it's just, they're, just, they're not even sure if they can raise their hand because they don't even know if they believe yet. God, I just pray that you continue to speak to them throughout this week. Let them hear your voice. Let them know that more. Let that be real in them. I thank you and praise you for all you do in your name. Amen.